Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. In the summer of 2022, Kentucky Humanities had the opportunity to co-produce a special podcast entitled Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond. Through hours of interviews and extensive research, University of Louisville grad student Katie Cross Gibson brings the listener an intimate portrait of one of the most influential African-American critics, authors, and feminists of our time. In this mini-series, you'll find a thorough examination of the life Bell Hooks lived, reflections from her friends and colleagues, and the thoughts and philosophy which guided her for 69 years. Here's your host, Katie Cross Gibson. Who was Bell Hooks? If you look at Wikipedia, you will see something along the lines of Bell Hooks was a cultural critic, a best-selling author, a visionary thinker. She was all of those things. And also, she was a shameless gossip. She loved to cuss. She was very eccentric. In addition to being one of the most brilliant thinkers in the world. Bell was a very complex spectacular person. I recognize her being in a kind of tradition of jazz women and people that really study and embrace existentialism and understand that they change all the time in every moment, but try to be authentic and true to themselves in that moment. She was always Belle and wasn't going to change no matter, you know, we were in a room with whoever it happened to be the trustees whatever she was she was she was herself she was authentic she was never frightened of conflict and she actually believed that conflict allowed for seeing more knowing more and i think it it probably was very much at the heart of her incredible intelligence if anybody was a consummate teacher it was bell hooks whether you were eating ice cream or looking at the art just always the teacher. She loved bright colors and artwork. She was just such a keen observer. I think she found beauty in a lot of things like that. She was a force of nature who was always provocative, unpredictable, wise, and loving. Balhooks was the greatest black woman thinker to walk this earth. Hello. I'm Katie Cross Gibson. I work in higher education and am a graduate student at the University of Louisville. Along with Bill Goodman, I'll be your host over the course of this Think Humanities mini-series, celebrating the work, life, and legacy of Hopkinsville, Kentucky native Bell Hooks, who passed away in Berea on December 15, 2021, at the age of 69. Much has been written and said in the months since Bell's passing, 
So instead of a line-by-line biography of Bell's life, or a breakdown of her most important theories, we'll hear from some of the folks who knew Bell best. You've already heard from most of them, including Linda Strong-Leak, Chad Berry, Crystal Wilkinson, and Silas House, except for one. Hello, I'm Gwenda Motley from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. I am retired from the Flint Community Schools after 30 years and moved back to Hopkinsville, my hometown in 2013, where I am just currently enjoying grandchildren and taking part in community activities. As her younger sister by three years, Gwenda Motley knows Bell Hooks, but she knows Gloria Jean Watkins even better. Even as Gloria, she was a visionary, and certainly as Bell, she was a visionary. Her vision became real to her and manifested itself when she started her first writing. And, and that's way before her first book. She honestly had a vision as a young person before she graduated from high school. She had a vision of how she wanted things to be or how she thought about how the world should be. And so as far as how that was manifested, I honestly can't say a time. I can't put a time on that because when we look back at her as a child growing up, she certainly, we could say, was a visionary even then. So the move into feminism, the move into all of that, it just was like a natural path for her. Our mom left school, married young, and received her GED much later, but she was a reader and our dad was a reader. Uh, so we had all the magazines and not just, just the African-American magazines, not just your regular Jet and Ebony magazines, but we had Harper Bazaar, McCall. We just had lots of, of literature. And we also <laughs> had three sets of encyclopedias. So if we ever needed to do work, we didn't have to go anywhere. It was right there uh, for our use. And our parents just encouraged us to be readers. And, and not just literature, but <laughs> I sometimes tell this, that Gloria, then Valerie, and myself were like the three that were always together. And we would go to the library. And Gloria would have five or six books to take home, to check out. And Valerie, and she'd have Shakespeare, or she'd be reading The Scarlet Letter, or she was always reading something that we called heavy. But Valerie and I, we were reading like mm, Nancy Drew, you know, the fun mystery stuff. <laughs> but she always had a stack of books. And while we were checking out one, <laughs> she might be checking out eight or 10 and read every one of them. We always played board games. We always played cards. <laughs> we played Rook and we played Old Maids and Scrabble and Glory always beat us in Scrabble, of course. But we just enjoyed time together. We used to have talent shows and Gloria would win the talent show because she was, of course, always the speaker. 
<laughs> when you're when when you're a child and your sibling is always saying, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to do who who's thinking about that as a kid? You know, it's it, it's almost like the Joseph story in the Bible. His brothers, of course, didn't want to hear him saying he was going to be somebody important. Well, we felt the same way while we loved her. It was not, she was annoying to us. She was herself. But it was always, Gloria, why do you have to think so much? Well, why do you have to ask all these questions? Well, why do you want to know that? Because we didn't embrace her need to read, write, think. We didn't embrace that as children. She was just our nerdy sister uh, who wore glasses, who read books, who kept her nose in a book. And so I think she forgave us. <laughs> as adults, we were able to come together and talk and discuss books. And now sometimes it was like, okay, Gloria, too much, too much. And she would always suggest books that we should read or suggest things that we should do in life or, you know, have you thought about doing so-and-so? Well, okay. Are you saving money? Are you, you know, you need to own some real estate or, you know, she was always giving good advice to us. And although she was wealthy, she lived very modestly. It took some growing up on our part to go from having this nerdy sister they got on your nerves to this world famous person. So it took some time for us to get there. And that did not come until we were adults. Her days were filled with reading, just absorbing print always. She liked visiting people. She enjoyed visiting senior citizens. She enjoyed visiting the elder women of the church and of the neighborhood and could carry on an adult conversation with them. Belle had a childhood full of curiosity and a beloved community in Hopkinsville, but her relationship to her hometown wasn't without its complications. To put it into perspective, Belle was born September 25, 1952, and experienced the desegregation of a public school system. She's written and talked. I've heard her speak about how there was always this fear of white people, of white supremacist thinking and behavior. Beth Fagan, professor at Berea College. When she was inducted into the Kentucky Hall Writers Fame um, in January of 2018, she spoke about how that fear was like a little fever burning all the time and that in order to escape it, she had to leave the place where she was born. She had to get out of Kentucky. Of course, she found out there was white supremacy everywhere, but it was particularly intense for her, I think, here. And so despite all the joy and all the beauty and the community and the love, there was a lot of fear and anxiety. And I think she felt hemmed in. You know, she was a, a smart, Black child seeking to explore her intellect, to be beloved, to feel beloved. And especially when the schools integrated and she was no longer in the Black school that she first went to as a child. When she went to a school 
where most of the people were white, the teachers and the students. She spoke in her books and I've heard her speak in person too about how hard it was to, to be the other suddenly and to waste so much time and energy that she could be spending on learning, on growing intellectually, to waste that precious energy always responding to and reacting to whiteness and to the way that white people perceived her and treated her. It was a drain on her energy, a drain on her intellect. All I can really do is give you secondhand tales of what I heard her say. Silas House, Kentucky writer, journalist, and activist. I know that she felt that she encountered much more racism in Kentucky when her family moved to the city than when they lived out in the country because she felt like out in the country they were on a more level playing ground, you know, because it was just they were all poor country people. But when she got to the city, there was much more hierarchy around class and race. So I've heard her talk a lot about that. But also, I've heard her say when she left Kentucky, she thought, I'll go to California and I'll experience a lot less racism. And she was surprised to find a whole other kind of racism and classism in California or New York City. And so I think she came back to Kentucky sort of realizing that Racism exists everywhere, and it's just, it exists in different ways. The entities are sort of different according to where you are. As a Kentucky humanities lover, you've heard of Spalding University's nationally distinguished MFA in creative writing. Now at the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing, We've added two innovative programs in professional writing. Your career goals take center stage as you work one-on-one with a faculty mentor to gain the writing skills employer's prize. Learn more about our low residency master's and certificate in professional writing at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Linda Motley and Beth Fagan both spoke to Bill's decision to leave Kentucky and the South as a young woman. I'm guessing that there were times when she did not feel accepted in Hopkinsville. I don't know if that was her own feeling or if there really was, if there was some experience that caused her to feel that way. And I think the same with Kentucky. She saw how her father could be so emotionally and physically abusive and yet be supported by society and that he had the right to act the way he acted because he was the man, because he was the provider. I think when she was seeking to leave Kentucky, it wasn't just white supremacy that she was leaving. It was also the family bonds that were so complicated because, of course, she loved her family deeply and also felt the need to, I think, break free of those dynamics that shaped her in ways that I think she would spend the rest of her life interrogating, writing about, theorizing about, seeking to understand, seeking to think critically about, and to arm all of us with the tools that we need as we seek to dismantle patriarchal 
systems, patriarchal systems on the macro level and on the micro level in our thinking. She dedicated her life to that. And I think a lot of that began in her home, in the place of her childhood. Gloria had gone to Columbia College in Columbia, Missouri for a year and then decided she wanted to go to Stanford. And it was not a happy time in that our parents did not want her to go. And and so you have to consider the time. It's the early 70s. We're not that many years into integration. We're talking a small town, population of about 30,000. And you've never really traveled to other states, maybe a nearby state to Tennessee or maybe uh, Chicago that she had traveled to, Illinois. But that was with family. And so here is your 18-year-old saying, I'm going to leave small town Hopkinsville and go to California. And so my mom was, no, mm-mm, you don't know anybody. You don't, you're, you, you, how would you know how to function in a big city? You've never been there, done that before. So it, it was a lot of um, crying and pleading and <laughs> till finally the parents said, okay, well, just go then, just go. But I remember it as a time of California. She can't go there. You know, because you hear your parents saying, oh, well, she doesn't know anybody. Well, you know, she she shouldn't go. A young woman shouldn't be going off that far from her family. So it was not a time where you're like, yay, she's going off to California. Wow. It, it wasn't like that at all. And And so I think for me, I can't say for my other siblings, I think, though, for me, it was a little scary to think she's going to California. What's going to happen to her? It it wasn't an encouraging experience to me because it was more of a fearful. And I think a lot of that is has to do with, you know, the way we were raised and, you know, our parents, of course, wanting us to be stay near home, wanting us to be safe and under their care. And, but much later, I did realize oh, that was wonderful that she went off to California. She's so brave and unafraid. And what happened next, as they say, is history. Bell went on to become an activist earned degrees from Stanford University, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and UC Berkeley, and would teach not only as a professor in the classroom, but through her critical and creative writings and lectures. Stick around and hear more as we continue to delve into Bell's life and beliefs. Let's not just honor a person that you don't know, let's introduce her to those of you who don't know, and it's not a crime not to know, but let's correct this and let's start learning. Next time on Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond. I think, you know, what was great about those conversations is that they would be so profound and enlightening, but then they would also be 
like peppered through with some gossip and some snarkiness and some really diabolical humor, you know, and just things like that. So it was a real well-rounded, it, it wasn't just like the stereotype of an intellectual conversation where everybody's sitting around with a beret and smoking a long cigarette and being profound and existential. You know what I mean? It could have elements of the existential and the critique of the culture and real deep dives into feminism and racism and sexuality and, you know, all those fundamental things. But it was, it could also, it also had humor and saltiness, vulgarity. Bell Hooks, Becoming, Being, Beyond, a Think Humanities podcast miniseries. Hosted by Katie Cross Gibson and Bill Goodman. Written by me, Katie Cross Gibson. Produced by Kentucky Humanities in conjunction with Dynamics Productions of Lexington, Kentucky. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.